This morning we're going to, oh, wait, wait, before we get into that, one other thing. <clears throat> you know, Brian messed me up by giving this to me, right? Uh, some people have asked about the business directory. And uh, so if you have a service, a business, a, a skill, maybe you're a babysitter and you want some folks to let you to know. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about one of the detriments, especially of the American culture, is that we put convenience over community. And so we'll, we'll, we won't shop at a local store knowing that that would bless the community because we're more concerned about going where it's convenient for us. And that's really con that's, that's, that's counterintuitive because it weakens our communities and it doesn't build strong communities when it's all about convenience. So what we'd like to do is if you have a skill and someone in the body needs that, let's say you're an auto mechanic, we would like to know you can do that. So when somebody in the body needs, hey, I, I need my car fixed, I'd rather pay someone that's in RLC instead of a heathen down the road, you can go online to our business directory and we can find out what you do. Amen? And then it's also a great place for me to go and say, hey, I got a carpenter. I know who to abuse. I mean, use. And uh, <clears throat> so we got some of these. Steve, would you take those for me, please, young man? If you want one of those to fill that out, just go ahead and take that and make sure we get it back. Um, Let's go ahead and get into the word. I want to also say there'll be no prayer tonight because it is favor day weekend. And so I know you need to go home and fire up the grill and cook some flesh. And so we don't want prayer to interfere with a good barbecue. <clears throat> so last week we started a new series on soul construction. And what we're talking about is how to have a healthy soul. And so I, I got to say that... Uh, I heard some really interesting, and put up the, the title slide, please. <clears throat> um, some really interesting feedback. A couple of people said, Pastor, you got right up under my makeup. Well, first off, if you're a guy, you should have had no makeup for me to get under. <clears throat> but <laughs> I know one person said, that, they said, Pastor, if you saw that I got up in the middle of service, um, they said, I just had to go out to the parking lot and get something right with God. And uh, so in the middle of the message, they went outside, got something right with God, came back in, and let me beat them up. And uh, so that was about judge not. And, and I got to say that today what we're going to be talking about is forgiveness. Now, if you thought judge not got up under your makeup, this is going to hit you in the heart. Because, see, judge not, judging is something that most of the time we do to people we don't even know. So they've not done anything to us other than got it within our line of sight. And we thought, I don't like the way they dress. But they didn't do anything to us. But forgiveness, now listen to me, forgiveness is reserved for those people that got up in your space. They did something to you. The Bible says they trespassed. They got up in your property. They got up and did something they ought not to have done. So this is like, if judge not was kind of difficult, Forgiving someone that actually did something to you. One writer said it's the hardest thing in the universe to do. Because, see, give, re, receiving grace and forgiveness is the most glorious manifestation of redemptive grace. But receiving grace is easy. Giving grace, not so much. Because, see... When we are born again, we instantly are made in the image of Christ. But then we have to learn Christ's likeness. You following me? 
I mean, we're in, when we're born again, you are made perfect in your spirit. But now you have to learn what does it mean to be Christ-like, and that's a process. And for some of us, it's a very long, very messy process. But the process results in being just like Jesus. You following me? So forgiveness is part of that process. Because forgiveness is something Jesus offers to all, and he asks us to do the same thing. So as we're talking about forgiveness, it's something we all know we need to do, but we still find it really hard to do and don't really know how to do it and don't even know what it actually is. Because I've had people ask me, "Cause see, is this okay? I'm, I'm kind of rambling because I'm, I'm trying to get into this thing. Um, <clears throat> people will come and say, Pastor, I know I need to forgive, but how do I know when I've actually forgiven? Because some of us are under the misconception that if I forgive, I'll forget. And then when you see that person and you realize I have not forgotten what they did to me, then you come under a certain sense of condemnation. Well, I must not have forgiven them because if I had forgiven them, I would have forgotten what they did. And that's not so. Because forgiveness isn't of the mind. It's of the heart. And so I'm going to explain to you as we get this train out of the station what forgiveness is. And I'll, but I want to say just in relation to what I just said, you know when you've forgiven, when you see the person and you see the person, not the deed. In other words, you see the value. Cleve, take this for me, please. You see the value of the person, not the pain of what they did. As long as you see the pain and not the person, you've not yet gotten to that place of forgiveness. But when you see the person and you do not feel the pain, even if you remember the event, you have forgiven them. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so let's go ahead. There's, only, there's so many places we could go because the whole Bible is filled with stories about forgiveness and the need for forgiveness. But I want to go to Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to start reading in verse 15. So the 18th chapter of Matthew, amplified version, starting in verse 15. If your brother wrongs you, go and show him his fault between you and him privately. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want you to look up here. Who does the wrong? Your brother done did the deed. Right. That means he, she, they, them, they did it. But who is given the responsibility of going and making it right? Shut up. Are you seriously? I got they did it. I didn't do it. They they should come to me and beg for. They should fall on their face, lick my shoes. And declare their unworthiness. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if your brother wrongs you, he did it, you go and show him his fault between you and him privately. If he listens, if, if he listens to you, you have won back your brother. See, you're, 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 now let me say this and I'll get into it a little bit more. Your reason for going to him is not to tell him off. It's the winning back. So you're redemptive in your approach. Your motive for going is to win him back. 
And if he listens to you, this is what the master said. If he listens to you, you have won back your brother. Verse 16. But if he does not listen, take along with you one or two others so that every word may may be confirmed and upheld by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 17. If he pays no attention to them, refusing to listen and obey, tell it to the church. And if he refuses, do you see how many opportunities at reconciliation are necessary? If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a pagan and a tax collector. So here's what I want to say to you. In the kingdom, relationship is everything. In the kingdom, relationship is everything and friendship matters. You see, but in the church, what we do is church people are some of the most easily offended. And we jump right to the removal. If you don't leave, I'm leaving, but one of us is leaving this church. Why? Because you didn't shake my hand last week. I'm not lying. In the church world, we, we, we don't value relationships as we should. Kingdom relationships are to be treasured and protected. We don't jump right to, well, I want you out of my life. If we de- Listen to this. If we don't understand the value of relationships, we'll have none. And in the kingdom, listen to me, if you're isolated... And you're alone. There are supposed to be no isolated believers. Some of you that you've heard me teach on the blessing, you've heard me say that the blessing is the very the earth's very first social network. Facebook was not the first. Not even MySpace. God invented a thing called the blessing that connected every man, woman, boy, and girl in his kingdom. We're meant to be connected. We don't, it's not, the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. But if we do not maintain relationships the kingdom way, we will find ourselves isolated and alone, even if we're in the midst of the church. Because we got no relationships with no one. Why? Because we've allowed the enemy an opportunity to isolate us. And I got to say this, if we're isolated, you did it to yourself. Pastor, I did not. They did. No, no, no. It's impossible. Is this okay this morning? Jesus said it's impossible that offenses will not come. He did say woe to them through whom they come, but it's impossible that they do not come. You will have opportunity to be offended. You and I have got to be spiritually strong enough and mature enough that when the offenses come, we know how to process through them. There's three steps that the scripture just laid out. Sister Fowler, put that up on the screen, please. The three steps, because I want us to say this together. Reprove. When you've been offended, you don't just walk away. You go to your brother, the one that did it. And in a spirit of meek humility, you say, listen, I don't know why you did it, but it hurt. And you show them their fault so that the relationship can be restored. The first step is reprove. If reproof doesn't work, you go to rebuke, or it could be called a reprimand. That's where you bring two other people from the same congregation, and you say, listen, we got to make this right. 
we got to get past this. This ain't good. This ain't God. And if he won't listen, then you can move to remove. But you don't just go to step three. Otherwise, the enemy is going to treat you like a plaything. And you'll be isolated and alone. Churches have split over minor differences because people didn't talk. Relationships end. I've been in churches where this side don't talk to that side and they haven't done it in a decade. Why? Because they didn't like they changed the drapes. And we're the army of the Lord. And we're going to change the world. Is this okay? Mm. <laughs> Maybe I should skip that part. Listen, don't jump right to remove. It's not a sign. Hear this. It's not a sign of spirituality to be quickly offended. That's actually a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of mature spirituality to go to the one who did you wrong and in a test of kingdom relationship, tell them what they did wrong in a spirit of grace-filled restoration instead of hot-headed frustration. We know it's easier to tell them off than it is to hold them up. Easier but not better. Okay, go with me if you would to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2. Reading this to you out of the Passion Translation. This is what the scripture says. With tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love toward one another. Especially, everyone say especially. Especially to those who get on your last nerve. That's what it says. To the one you really want to punch in the throat. That's the one you got to show humility, patience, and demonstrate generous love to. <laughs> Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace, being one body and one spirit, as you were all called into the same glorious hope of divine destiny. Verse 5, for the Lord God is one, and so are we. Now, when he says the Lord God is one, he's speaking of the triune God. He's saying there's perfect harmony between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There's no division among them. They're not the same, but they're in perfect harmony. And that's how we're supposed to be. We're not the same. There's diversity among us. There's diversity of look, diversity of like. And let's not even get into political diversity. But there's diversity of thought. There's diversity of heritage and background. And every one of those points of diversity can become opportunity for division. Except for the spirit of grace. When love masters us. You understand what I'm saying? Steve, come on up here. Cleve, come up here. Michelle, can I have you two? I want to I show you something. Stand, all three of you stand right up here. And I'm going to keep reading while they come. For the Lord God is one, and so are we. Right up there. I don't want you that close. You're in my space. I'll have to forgive you. <clears throat> As you were called in the same glorious hope of divine destiny, for the Lord God is one and so are we. 
For we share in one faith, one baptism, and one Father. And He is the perfect Father who leads us all, works through us all, and lives in us all. Now put verse 3 back up on the screen. Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you. Where is the harmony of the Spirit seen? In the diversity of the congregation. That's where the harmony. You want to know if the Spirit of God is in operation in a place? See if people from diverse backgrounds are getting along. If you're in a monochrome church, that proves nothing. When you all walk the same, talk the same, vote the same, look the same, act the same, have the same clothes, that proves nothing. But when you're in a place of diversity and the one thing that overrides all is respect and love for one another, then you know the spirit of grace is in the place. And we got to be diligent to preserve that because you know what the enemy would love to do? Break it down. Why? Because if he can break it down, he can stop the move of the spirit in that place. Now, remember what I told you. Jesus said it's impossible that offense don't come. You want to know why? Because we are all perfect spirits in imperfect bodies with complex minds and emotions. Let's just say it this way. Some of us are messed up. We're trying to get it right, and we're a lot further along than we used to be, but we ain't perfect yet. So it's inevitable I'm going to say something you don't like. Right? So now let's, right up here you got diversity. Right? You got diversity of gender. You got diversity of age. Because Steve is ancient. <laughs> He's just getting old. So help him down the stairs after service. He'll like that. And then you got Cleve. Right? Diversity. But now it's impossible because of different backgrounds. And, and then you got Michelle. I mean, she don't fit in with either one of them. She's altogether different. A lot prettier than the other two, but she's altogether different. Now, it's impossible. Cleve might at some point say something to Michelle that Michelle don't like. Right? Now, Michelle can think about it, ponder it, and get angry about it and say, I ain't going to that church anymore unless Cleve leaves. And then when Steve hears about it, well, he becomes the daddy, and he wants to attack Cleve because of what he said to Michelle. I'm not making this up. It happens every day. Because no one in the trifecta of pe people up here is going to be the one. I'm going to be spiritual and take a proactive approach to this. And so the, the enemy gains opportunity, and through a spirit of unforgiveness, he breaks it up. But let's imagine, Michelle is spiritually mature, filled with the love and grace of God. So when Cleve does the boneheaded thing, he doesn't even know he did it. It was like off the cuff. She goes to him. And she says, Cleve, what you said really hurt my heart. But I don't want us to have any division between us. And so she makes the approach. He receives it. He apologizes. She forgives him. That unity comes right back. And now Cleve and Michelle can go to Steve and say, Steve, you don't have to be offended. You don't got to be angry. It's all good. So they all have this group hug. And it's all good, and the, the, the enemy of life is shut down because we're following a biblical approach and we're forgiving one another. Is this okay? Now, before y'all sit down, let me read this next verse. This is in the, verse 3 out of the New American Standard. Be diligent. Diligent. Everyone say diligent. 
diligent to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Why do you got to be diligent? Because the enemy is going to work overtime to make sure somebody somewhere says something you don't like. And that you'll get offended and you'll isolate yourself from the body and he wins. Now that word diligent in the Greek, it's spadezo. Spadezo. Say it together. Spadezo. I only know that because I googled it. This is what it means to use speed, to make haste, to make every effort to do one's best to do what? Make haste to go to the one that offended you and make it right before the enemy gets a chance to go in there and do things. So as soon as Michelle had a chance to process it, she made haste to go to Cleve. And as soon as the two of them made it right, they made haste to go to Steve. Are you following me? And if we all take this approach, no matter how many times I offend you, you make haste to come to me. And I make haste to go to you. And we are diligent to preserve the unity of the brethren and the harmony of peace and the spirit. The enemy cannot win. Would you give these three a hand clap? Thank y'all. Now let's go back to Matthew because there was this one guy. See, I told you y'all had to help Steve. Steve knows I love him because the bus drives over him. <clears throat> I've been doing this for 15 years. So let's go back to Matthew because there was a guy named Peter sitting there and listening to Jesus. And when Jesus was done talking about how to go to your brother, Peter said, uh, Lord, I got a question. Verse, eight, verse 21 out of Matthew 18. Then Peter came up to him and said, now this is after the Lord just said, like make every effort, make haste, go to them and make it right. Peter said, Lord, how many times may I forgive my boneheaded brother? <clears throat> how many times do I got to forgive him and let it go? Now, the rabbis would teach three. If you were offended three times and you forgave three times, you have fulfilled your obligation. On the fourth time, you have every right to knock him out. And so, you know, you can, I, I put myself in, you know, Peter's this guy who's like, you know, you can, Peter's on the inside going, you know, Lord, <laughs> this disciple of yours, <laughs> I'm going to cut his ear off. I just fantasize about picking up a sword and cutting off his ear. If not his ear, somebody's ear, somebody's going to lose an ear someday. But I am growing and I'm learning and I'm listening to what you're saying. So should I forgive him up to seven times? Can you, can you, Peter's thinking like he's really showing spiritual growth here. Because the rabbis only say you need to forgive three times. But Peter being a close follower of Jesus says I'm willing to forgive that guy up to seven times. And let's go to verse 22. Jesus answered him. I tell you not up to seven times. But 70 times seven. And I picture Peter going, I'm a fisherman, not a mathematician. But seven times carry the one, four, nine, 490 times? Now get this. What Jesus is saying is 70 times 7, most scholars do, you know, there, there's a lot of Old Testament 
examples of this, but most scholars agree that Jesus was actually giving them literal 490 times. And it's 490 times in a Jewish day, which is 12 hours. Okay, sunrise to sunset. I got to say, there you go. 12 hours. Now, if you take the 490 times that you got to forgive the same dude, this isn't like everyone. This is the same dude. So if you got multiple dudes, this is 490 times in a single day, sunrise to sunset. That's more than 40 times per hour, per day, every day, every one. <laughs> Seriously. That's a lot. That's a lot. What is Jesus saying? You need to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. It needs to be a lifestyle for the... Now understand, I'm not talking about uncommitted Christians. I'm talking about Christ followers. We're supposed to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. Now it's impossible that someone's not going to offend us. But if we're living a lifestyle of forgiveness, it is impossible for their offense to become my trap. Selah. I want to say that again because we're going to... If I'm living a lifestyle of forgiveness, it is impossible for their offense to become my trap. Because I will not become entrapped in that event that fragmented my heart. Is this making sense to you? See, one of the things that we've got to understand, and I'm going to be jumping ahead a little bit, is that one of the reasons we struggle to forgive is because we think by forgiving them, we're letting them go. We're letting them get away with what they did. But remember I told you that when we were talking about judgment, it's not about the prohibition against judging is not a prohibition against them judging you. It's a prohibition against you judging them. Because God's trying to make you whole. He'll deal with them, but he's trying to make you whole. So when he tells you to forgive, it's not about, hear me when I say this, it's not about setting them free. It's about setting yourself free. Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. Because let's be honest, the people that hurt you, they've hurt a dozen since then. And they probably have forgotten all about what they said to you and did to you because in their wake is a long line of victims and you're just one of hundreds. But you're living in that moment from that word or that hand slap or that violation. When they trespassed against you, your life got freeze framed. And you're living in that moment forever. They're on their way. They've done hurt other people, but you're stuck. Every time you lay down to go to sleep, you think about what they said, what they did. You're, in, you're stuck in a moment. Forgiveness is not about releasing them. It's about releasing you. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's a work of redemption in the pardoning of them. But it's really not about them. The true gift of forgiveness is to set you free. Because unforgiveness, hear this, unforgiveness traps you in the moment of the trespass. In the moment of it. And some of us, we've been trapped for four decades by words that were spoken to us when we were children. As being violated in a way a child should never be violated. And you're a grown adult, but you still struggle with relationships because of that. Forgiveness is not about setting them free about setting ourselves free 
there's a, 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 a I, I don't really want to call him a friend, more of an acquaintance. <clears throat> and he pastored a very large mega church. Joyce Myers attended his church. He had a very big church. And if you looked at him on the outside, you think this is just one of the ultra successful ministers of our day. But he shared a story. He said everyone on the outside thought he was all together, but on the inside he was broken. There was, there was a, it was like there was a wall in his life. He was trapped in a moment. There was a memory he could not get rid of. And every time this moment, he could preach the most extraordinary. He's a Greek and Hebrew scholar. You'd think this dude is perfect. But even while he's preaching to you in his mind, he's struggling with something that happened to him many years ago. And he shared a story. He said one day in prayer, he said, God, why can't I get past this level of my life? I'm, I'm growing in every other area, but this one level, I've, I've stagnant. I've been stagnant for years. Why can't I get past this? And the Lord said, you have not forgiven any named a person. This person was a family member, and they had really hurt this preacher when he was, a, when he was in college. And he never could get past this. And so the Lord said, you've never forgiven. You've got to forgive. Well, there was a problem. She was dead. See, sometimes people ask me, if, Pastor, did it forgive? Do I got to go to the person? Sometimes yes and sometimes no. What's the Lord telling you to do? There are some people, they are so toxic. You don't need to get back in their presence to forgive them. You just need to let them and let it go. There are other people that you need to go to because there's possibility of restoration. But if that person is just going to inject you with more toxin, then stay away. I have forgiven a great number of people that I never care to see again. And I'm not seeking them out, and the Lord didn't require that of me. Well, with, with this person, he had to go to the gravesite. This is what the Lord told him to do. He went to the gravesite, and he stood over it, and he said, I forgive you. I forgive you for what you did to me. And he said a release, everyone say release. A release came over him where he, he was able to let the pain of the moment go. Did he forget it? No. If he'd forgotten it, he wouldn't have been able to tell me the story. But the pain of the moment evaporated. That's grace. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is something we all need to do. And there's not one of us that don't need to forgive someone. But we need to learn to do it quickly because just like a poison, the more of it we take, the more damage it does. I heard one reader, re writer said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Hmm. I wrote this down. I don't know where I got it from. Unforgiveness is choosing to stay trapped in a jail cell of bitterness, serving time for someone else's crime. They did it, but we're the ones stuck. Everyone say, today is my day of emancipation. I'm walking free from this. Which brings me to how do we forgive? Do I always need to go to the person? The answer is no, not always. Sometimes God will require it and sometimes God won't. But whatever he tells you to do, do it. Be willing. If he says go to the person. Be willing to do it because you're setting yourself free. You know, when I, by nature, <clears throat> pre-Christ nature, I was not a forgiving person because I did not live a Norman Rockwell idyllic childhood. Some of you know the story. 
I had to check with my aunt the other day, actually just yesterday. I, called, I said, how old was I when I got dropped off with a garbage bag full of clothes? <clears throat> and in my mind, I was thinking I was eight or nine. She said, you were five. So at five years old, family members dropped me off with a trash bag full of clothes and just told me to stand on the porch. And I don't remember it, but the story was my grandma opened up the door to go to work and there stood I. Like that character from Charlie Brown, you know, the one that's all filthy. And that was me. And see, that does something to a kid. It really does. <clears throat> and there are various what I felt were betrayals as I was growing up. People that I thought were responsible for my trauma. And. And I know you're holier than me, so don't hold this against me. But before I was saved, I would fantasize about inflicting pain. I mean, I would plot murder. I was like, I wonder if I could get, this is a small town, we got two cops. I bet you I could get away with it. And I would fantasize about it. Well, you know what's sad? When you fantasize, you know, Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust after in your heart, you've done it. <clears throat> so fantasizing about it's the same as doing it. So I was guilty of murder. And when I got saved, I was out, I was in the backwoods of Louisiana one day. And it, how many of you remember, is this okay? I don't want to take up too much of your time, but you remember like the old, I, I think the old iPods, the, how the music would scroll like this. Y'all remember that? You could scroll through the music and like the album cover would come close and then it's like a carousel. Well, long before I ever saw that in iPod, I saw that in a vision form. I was, I was out on a country road in Baton Rouge and, and I started with my eyes wide open. I began to see these faces. And they would do this, and it was like a carousel. And they'd come, they'd get close, and then they'd fade away. And there was a multitude of them. And I heard the Lord say, you hate these people. And I thought, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I wouldn't care if you killed every one of them. <clears throat> and the Lord said, you've got to forgive them. And I, I, I learned long, don't argue with the Holy Ghost. You never win. And so as each name or each face came in front of me with tears rolling down because there was a lot of pain connected to every face, I said, Father, I forgive, and I would name him. Next face, I forgive, and I would name him. Next face, I would forgive, and then the faces stopped. And I never, never connected with them. Why am I telling you this? You just need to forgive them. See, as far as I know, they're still doing the same stuff they did to me, but they're doing it to other people. But I found release. And that wasn't the only teach. See, forgiveness is something that we struggle with because offenses keep coming. It'd be one thing if they'd only do it one time. Everyone say 490. The Lord would have to give me, he teaches me a lot in teaching visions, and he had to show me other visions because I'd do well for a while. And then not so well for a while. <clears throat> forgiveness into this. I've already forgiveness is the most intense manifestation of grace. The most intense. You know, grace is in operation when you are forgiven and, you know, grace is in manifestation when you forgive. 
I don't want to read it for sake of time, but if we were to continue reading in Matthew 18, you would find that as soon on the heels of Peter's question, the Lord began to give another parable about a king who had a servant that owed him more than he could pay in 10 lifetimes. And, and, and the, the servant came and he fell before the king and he begged forgiveness because he knew he owed a debt he could never pay. And in the parable, Jesus said the king forgave him all that he owed. And then he went, he left that place of grace and he went out and he saw someone that owed him just a half a day's wages. He said, pay me what you owe me. And the guy said, I can't pay. So he jumped on him and he started choking him. And he threw him in debtor's prison. And the other servants, knowing that he had received great grace, went to the king and said, you need to know what this guy did. And the king called him back. And you know what the, the parable ends with? If you don't forgive, it'll be bad for you. Why? Because if you don't forgive, your life becomes hell on earth. And it's as if you're in a prison for, for life. It's better to forgive and let it go. To forgive, listen to this, means that you genuinely love. And this love can move beyond the issue to the person. Say that again. This love can move beyond the issue to the person. And the one that cares more about the person than about what he or she has done. Listen, when you can't see the value of the person because of the pain of the issue, you've not yet forgiven. Love does, listen, love does not keep bringing up old conflicts while trying to hide it behind a joke. When you hold on to things in your heart, it creates bitterness and hate. Unforgiving, unforgiveness creates bitterness in your heart, and that can and will lead to physical sickness and pain. I've been listening to a lot of, oh, i got to hurry up. I've been listening to a whole lot of medical podcasts because I want to be healthy, right? So I'm listening to all these doctors talk about what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat, and I talk back to them and say, but I like that, and I like a lot of that. And you're telling me I can't have none of that, so you're of the devil and I change podcasts. <clears throat> but one thing that they're all saying before I change channels to look for the one who tells me I can eat Snickers and look like Arnold is they all say the same thing and they don't give God credit. So I don't know if they found this out from the Bible or not, but they're saying that the hospitals are filled with bitter people. They, they're, they're filled with people who stress about life and they stress about the relationships in their life and they're bitter and they're envious and they're jealous and they're angry. And all of that leads to physical sickness. You see, there are, there's a lot of people in the church that can't be healed because they won't let go. Forgiveness can bring about healing in our body. So it not only releases us emotionally and spiritually and even financially, it can release us physically. I mean, Solomon knew this years ago. Look at Proverbs chapter 17. And I don't have much longer to go, but it's Labor Day weekend. You ain't got nowhere to go anyhow. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. A happy heart is good medicine. Do you see that? Well, if a happy heart is good medicine, what is a sad heart? It's toxin. 
A happy heart is good medicine, and a cheerful mind works healing, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Let's stay in the book of Proverbs and look at chapter 14, verse 30. A calm and undisturbed mind and heart are the life and health of the body. Do you see that? Everyone say, let it go. Because it literally is killing you. You're dying and they're partying. What's up with that? A calm and undisturbed mind and heart are the life and health of the body. But envy, bitterness, jealousy, resentment, wrath, anger are rottenness of the bones. Forgiveness literally liberates you. It sets you free. free. Forgiveness frees you to live with options. I like that. Forgiveness frees you to live with options because you aren't stuck in a prison any longer. Now hear me when I say this. Our refusal to forgive is a power play that's got no place in a Christian's life. You and I are not to power play one another. Like I said earlier, I'll forgive you when you fall down and lick my boots. That's power play. And that's got nothing to do with you and I as followers of Christ. So don't do it. Let it go. That's what the world does to one another. But in the church, we are to be merciful and meek and kind. Well, pastor, what if they take advantage of me? That's between them and God. Love does not make you weak. Love makes you strong. Faith works by Mm. Go to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 15, out of the New Living. For the despondent, for the depressed, every day brings trouble. You see that? People who constantly live in the bitterness of some past tragedy, every day brings trouble. But with the happy heart, life is a continual feast. The same verse out of the Amplified. All the days of the desponding and afflicted are made evil by anxious thoughts and forebodings. But he who has a glad heart has a continual feast regardless of circumstances. I already quoted it, but I want to say it again. Unforgiveness is like taking poison, but expecting someone else to die. Now, I got to say this as we close. Forgiveness is not the same as trust, and I need to say that. Because sometimes we think, if I forgive him, do I got to trust him? No, if every time I see you, you punch me in the nose, I'll forgive you, but I ain't trusting you. Because, see, the Bible mandates my forgiveness. It does not mandate my trust. I have to forgive you, but I don't got to trust you. Does that make sense? So, see, that's one reason why people will think, man, if I forgive them, they're going to do it to me again. Not if you don't let them. Man, I'm, I'm gonna be, I don't know if you've ever seen Robert Q's children around me. They always do this because I'm always touching them in the nose. If you always punch me in the nose, that's how I'll be around you. I'll forgive you, but you ain't getting access to my nose. Scripture commands me to forgive, but does not command that I trust. Forgiveness is unconditional, but trust must be earned. We can forgive and still be smart. Some relationships are best lived at a distance. Forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. When you have forgiven, you can see the person and remember the deed, but the old pain, the anger, and the resentment doesn't rise up, and you're no longer a victim. Can you say amen? Jackie, if you would come, please. This is the way we're going to end it today. It's going to be a little bit different. Did this help you at all?
I'm very serious about this being a moment of emancipation. It's one thing to hear a sermon and go away and say, well, you know, that was a good sermon. It's another thing to put your faith to it. And so here's what I want to ask. I want to ask everyone in here to stand up. And I'm going to ask you to be honest. And ask the Holy Spirit right now, just ask him who it is that has entrapped you. At what space and time have you become frozen? Who do you have to forgive? And then I want to ask you to take a step of faith. And when I ask you this, I want to make this clear. I'm going to ask you to come down here. I don't want no one praying for no one else. I don't want you laying your hands on anyone. Because this is between them and God. It's not about you aiding them. Everyone pray for your own forgiveness. But at this time, I want to ask you to take a step into a new day, a step into freedom. And I'm going to ask you if you have someone in your life, presently or in the past, that you know you still harbor that moment. I want you to ask you to come forward. Come down here. <clears throat>